You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. When was the last time you studied a dollar bill? If you look carefully at the back side of a dollar bill, you will see this phrase. It will say, the great seal of the United States. Every one of our dollar bills have that phrase on the back. And this phrase communicates that our currency bears the authority of our nation. It's a mark of authenticity. It's a way to say this currency belongs to this nation. And in a similar way, in the spiritual realm, God has put His seal upon us, His children. He marks us as a sign of His authority and a mark of authenticity. And I want to talk about what this seal is as we continue our study through the book of Ephesians. So turn there with me. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We are continuing our study through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a group of Christians in first century Asia Minor. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 13 and 14. When you found your place, I want to ask you if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, the Bible says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed. Notice that word. Were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. And we come praising you for who you are. And for what you've done for us. Your name is majestic. Your name is matchless. Your name is powerful. And what a joy that we have this opportunity to gather together. And to proclaim your great name. And to open our Bibles with expectancy. Lord, expecting you to speak to your people. Lord, I pray that you would use your word and apply it to our hearts by the power of your spirit that we might be changed. We love you, we praise you, we exalt you, and we lift this prayer up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. We've seen 
as we've journeyed through this study on Ephesians, that the theme of the book is simply this. We experience God's grace in Christ, which saves us, unites us with other believers, and strengthens our Christian walk. And this book divides up into two parts. Jason Lobaxer says that chapters 1 through 3 describe our wealth in Christ, all of the blessings that are ours as followers of Jesus. And chapters 4 through 6 encourage us as to our walk with Christ, the way we ought to live in response to all that he has done. And as Paul begins to describe our wealth in Christ, he begins in verse 3 of chapter 1 with a long run-on sentence of 202 words in the original Greek language. And this sentence is all about our spiritual blessings in Christ. And we've been looking at those blessings one per week, and this week we get to the end of this sentence. But we've studied blessings like this. He chose us. He adopted us. He forgave us. He made known to us the mystery of his will. Last week we discussed how the Lord has given us an inheritance, a a promised inheritance. But the last spiritual blessing in this sentence is the blessing of being sealed by God. He sealed us. And what I want to do this morning is I want to just look back at the text and I want to give you three thoughts about the sealing of the Spirit. So we understand what this is all about. Number one, I want you to see the people of the Spirit. The people of the Spirit. Who are those that can claim to be sealed with the Spirit? Well, look what it says back in verse 13. In Him, in Christ, remember every spiritual blessing is connected to Christ. You only receive these blessings in a relationship with Him. In Him you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This verse gives us a timeline for the Christian experience. There are three simple past tense or aorist tense verbs in this sentence. And the three verbs grab our attention. They are heard, believed, Sealed. Heard, believed, sealed. So it says there in verse 13, you heard the word of truth, the gospel. The the second verb is you believed when you heard. And third, you were sealed. This is the order that you and I experience becoming Christians. For us to become a Christian, first of all, we have to hear the gospel. We have to hear the good news. You say, Pastor Wade, what is the gospel? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it is, it is very clearly detailed. Paul writes to the church in Corinth that the gospel is this, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. The gospel is that Jesus died for our sins He rose from the dead and defeated death itself. So because Jesus Christ has defeated sin by dying for our sins, and because Jesus Christ has defeated death by rising from the grave, you and I can experience 
forgiveness and eternal life. Even though we're sinners, even though we're undeserving, we can experience forgiveness and eternal life. And that's really, 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 really good news. That's the good news. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. And because He finished the work of redemption, we can be saved. We can receive the free gift of eternal life. But the gospel is not just a historical event that Jesus died and was buried and rose from the grave. The gospel calls for a personal response because look what he says. He says, you you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Then he says, and believed. Listen, it's not enough to just hear. It's not enough just to be aware of Jesus or Christianity. You have to personally respond to what Christ has done for you. And he mentions the response there, you believed. The Bible speaks of our response to the finished work of Christ as repentance and faith. Repentance means we understand that we can't get to heaven on our own. Repentance means we understand we're going to a place of destruction in and of ourselves. So we want to turn from that and turn to the only way to be saved, and his name is Jesus. That's repentance, turning, faith, trusting Christ alone. And then notice the third verb. You heard, you believed, you were sealed. This describes the people of the Spirit. Those who hear the gospel, listen, and respond by believing in Jesus are sealed by the Holy Spirit who takes up residence in our lives. Now very quickly, let me, let me give you a little bit of Holy Spirit 101. Because we don't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. We should talk about Him more. But I just want to remind you that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Bible teaches there is one God in essence and nature existing in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now listen, God the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And the Bible teaches that at the moment of conversion, the moment you heard the gospel and responded by believing in Jesus, placing your faith and trust in him, at that very moment, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, listen, came to take up residence in you. God lives in you if you know Jesus. That is highly significant. This speaks of the people of the Spirit, the people who are sealed with the Spirit, who are indwelt by the Spirit. But let me show you also the promise of the Spirit. Why does the Spirit seal us? What does the sealing of the Spirit signify? Look what it says back in verse 13. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The emphasis in these two verses is on the Holy Spirit's role in guaranteeing or securing our salvation. 
And Paul here, under the inspiration of the Spirit, uses two really powerful word pictures. The first word picture he uses is that of a seal. There in verse 13. You you heard, you believed, you were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. Or with the promised Holy Spirit. This is not the only time that Paul makes a statement over in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. He writes, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him. And so the, the Spirit is given by God to seal us. But notice back in Ephesians 1, who does the sealing? It says there, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now that word sealed is a passive voice in the original language, which means you didn't seal yourself. God is the one who did the sealing. And notice the duration of the sealing. How long are you sealed once you're sealed? Look what it says. It says, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it. And so we are sealed with the Spirit until we go to heaven and acquire our eternal possession. That is the the duration of the sealing, your entire life. Now what does it mean specifically to be sealed? The the word here that Paul uses speaks of a, a, a mark of identification that was placed on a letter or a contract or other important document. In the first century... A seal was usually made from hot wax, which was placed on a document when it was closed, and then impressed with a signet ring, and that signet ring put a mark on the wax to signify who was sending the letter. It carried the authority of the sender. So this document with the the wax seal and the the signet ring would officially identify uh, this letter, and it would be under the authority of the person to whom the signet ring Belonged, And that's the idea of us being sealed by the Holy Spirit. This, this idea means, listen, that if we're Christians, we belong to Him. His seal, His stamp is on our lives. We are under His protection until the day of redemption, until the day He comes back to get us. We are sealed by the Spirit. But that's not only, the, not the only word picture that he uses. Not only does he use the word picture of a seal, he uses the word picture of a pledge. Look in verse 14. It says, You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. That word guarantee is an interesting word. It's the Greek word erebon. And it's a word that speaks of God making a promise to save us. Over 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, Paul writes, It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This word guarantee was used again in the first century to speak of a, a down payment or a pledge or, or ransom money. It indicates a a deposit which in itself is a guarantee that the full amount will be paid. Probably when you bought a home, if you have purchased a home, you had to put down some earnest money to signify that you you had every intention of buying the home. That's that's this word guarantee. 
it signifies, the Spirit signifies that God has every intention of finishing what He started. We have the guarantee now. The Spirit seals us in full possession of our inheritance later when we get to heaven. So the Holy Spirit, listen, in your life is the guarantee that God will finish what He started. But I don't want you to think about the sealing of the Spirit just as a commercial theological transaction. This word Arabone came to be used for an engagement ring. An engagement ring. Now what does an engagement ring signify? When I proposed to Claire back in 1990, well, New Year's Eve 1997, it might have actually been 1998, it was right, yeah, right around the New Year's. I proposed to her and I gave her a ring and, and that ring signified I have every intention of marrying you. It's going to happen, right? This is going to happen. And, and that was my, my, my symbol. That it was my guarantee, my arrow bone to her. And it's the same way with the Spirit in our lives. Warren Wiersbe writes, Our relationship to God through Christ is not simply a commercial one, but also a personal experience of love. He is the bridegroom, and his church is the bride. We know that he will come and claim his bride because he has given us his promise and his spirit as the engagement ring. What greater assurance could we want? So the spirit is Christ's pledge. I saved you. And I'm going to finish what I started. It is the engagement ring of Christ for his bride. Now, when I gave Claire an engagement ring, I had every intention of marrying her. And that's what happened by God's grace. But we understand sometimes that, that engagements fall through. People give a ring and, and because of situations, they, don't, they end up not getting married. But listen to me. When God makes a promise, He is unable to lie. He cannot not keep the promise. He's going to come through. When He, when he gives an engagement ring, He's going to, to finish what He started, right? And that's the, uh, the significance of this arabone, this, this sealing of the Spirit. And so here's the reality for you and for me. The presence of the Spirit in our lives gives us eternal security. Let me show you a really cool verse. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. He's talking here to Christians in the, 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 the city of Ephesus. Ephesians 4, verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, don't. Don't sin and live in such a way that you grieve God's spirit. But look what he says. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now what's the day of redemption? When we were saved, we were redeemed, set free from the penalty of sin. Forgiven of all of our sins. Now as Christians, there's a work of sanctification going on. We are, we are being changed into Christ's likeness. We are, we are progressively coming more like Jesus. So we are every day being saved from the power of sin as he changes us. But there's coming a day when he comes back, the day of redemption, 
where he will take us from this earth and take us to our eternal home in heaven. And on that day, we will be saved or redeemed or set free from the very presence of sin. What a day that will be, amen? Day of redemption. But notice here, he's saying, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But the implication is this, even if you do, even if you stumble and fall and break God's heart with your life, you're still sealed until that day. So there is security in the fact that we are sealed with the Spirit. For you to lose your salvation, listen, the Holy Spirit would have to depart your life. And He's promised that He would not depart from you. He's your guarantee. He's your seal. He said, what about Satan? I mean, wouldn't Satan want to take the Spirit away from me? The Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Satan can't touch you. You're sealed by God Himself. And so we have eternal security. And it's not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon the Spirit who has sealed me. Now I'll leave you to the third heading that I want you to see. And, and, and this is where we really want to kind of nail down a few things. We've talked about the people of the Spirit, Christians, those who have heard and believed are the ones who have the Spirit indwelling them. We've talked about the... Uh, the, the, the pledge of the Spirit, the promise of the Spirit. He's come to, to secure you eternally. But third, I want you to see the proof of the Spirit. The proof of the Spirit. In other words, how do we know we have the Holy Spirit in our lives? How do we know that the Spirit of God is indwelling us? Now, first of all, we know because, of, because we trust God's Word. The Bible says if you've heard and believed, you have the Spirit. So that's faith in God's Word. But there are some other indicators that you and I have the Spirit in our lives. The Spirit is the undeniable mark of God's work in us and for us. In fact, it says in Romans 8, 16, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what are the identifying marks of being indwelt by the Spirit? How can you know the Spirit is in your life? Let me give you three thoughts. Three things I've come to, to learn about the Spirit's presence in me. First of all, I know He's present when I see my life change. I know He's present when I see my life change. Remember I said that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And when you are converted, God himself, listen, comes to take up residence in your life. Now listen, how could God himself come to take up residence in you and there be no change? It's just impossible. If God himself comes to live in you, Things are going to change in you. Amen? Takes time. God works at different speeds in different people's lives and in different ways. It's a, it's a process called sanctification. But I'm telling you, 
If you are truly saved, the Spirit has sealed you. The Spirit lives in you. He will change you. Or I could say it like this. No change, no Jesus. A transformed life is one of the indicators that the Spirit of God lives in you. I know He's present when I see my life change. Over in Galatians 5, it speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. That that, that fruit begins to be born through your life by the power of the Spirit. Things like love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, gentleness. The Spirit does that. there's There's a change in your life. I know He's present when I see my life change. I know He's present when I'm convicted of my sins. Over in John 16, Jesus speaks of one of the roles of the Spirit in our world is to convict of sin. And I'm fond of saying this because it's so true. One of the ways I know I'm a Christian is I can't get away with anything. Can I get an amen? Here's what I mean by that. When I blow it, and I blow it, when I blow it, immediately I sense the conviction of the, of the Spirit in my life. Immediately. And, and, and I know that I've got to get right. Because I'm under the the conviction of the Spirit. And that's not God trying to make me miserable. That's God helping me to take the right path in life. And warning me when I begin to go down the wrong path. So I'll, I'll get right and get back on the right path. That's God's love and grace for me. But one of the ways I know the Spirit lives in me is when I sin, I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian, you do too. That's one of the indicators that the Spirit lives in us. Let me give you a third indicator. I know He's present when the Bible is illuminated for my understanding. Over in 1 Corinthians 2, the Bible says that that spiritual things are spiritually appraised. The natural man, the man without the Spirit, cannot understand spiritual realities. Now, an unbeliever can read the Bible and and understand the grammar and the the vocabulary and and the structure of the sentences and and deduce some things from reading the Bible. But without the Spirit, you'll never understand the full import of God's Word for your life and how it applies and what it means. And, And you'll never fully appreciate and grasp the Word of God apart from the work of the Spirit in you. That's called the, the work of illumination. And one of the ways I know I'm a Christian is the, is the Spirit helps give me understanding when I read the Bible. So there are some indicators in my life that the Spirit dwells in me. And the fact that the Spirit dwells in me is a reminder that God has sent the Spirit to seal me as a guarantee of His salvation. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, When the Holy Spirit is in us, we cannot help knowing it. His presence will be felt. His presence is felt. And as He works within us, warning us, urging us forward, enlightening us, we are aware of these things. And as He gives us those seasons of special blessing, as He moves our heart and gives us glimpses of our Lord, we know it and we rejoice in it. Our hearts are moved. It is experiential and the emotions must be involved. 
The whole person is involved. The mind, the heart, and the will. It is not some extravagant ecstasy. No, a true experience of the Holy Spirit leads to conduct and behavior and action. The will and the intellect and the heart. So if you are a born-again believer in Jesus, one of the gifts that God has for you is this. You can be certain of your eternity in heaven because the Spirit has sealed you for or until the day of final redemption. You can rest and rejoice in Christ. You are sealed. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this is good news. Let me give you this takeaway statement. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives guarantees the promise of eternal life. Now, before I close, just one quick word. Later on in Ephesians, we're going to get to Ephesians 5, verse 18, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, where the Bible commands us to be filled with the Spirit. Now watch this. Every Christian has the Spirit of God in their lives, but not every Christian is filled with the Spirit. In other words, not every Christian surrenders to the control of the Spirit in their lives. I've heard it put like this. If you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit is resident in your life. But the question is, is He president of your life? Do you daily surrender to his authority and will and way so that he can move and empower you and strengthen you? So we'll talk about how to be filled with the Spirit as we work our way through Ephesians. But the foundation is this. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God lives in you. And that's God's loving seal and guarantee that one day he will finish what he started when he initiated his work in your life. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.